0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Bogash, thank you very much for uh, taking the time. And we've had some really significant developments, at least, you know, the news stories tell us what's going on. COVID-19 front in recent days and weeks, numbers of cases are increasing, warnings of a healthcare system under severe strain, a return to partial month-long lockdowns in Quebec and Ontario. And there's also the doubt about uh, government action expressed by business owners whose establishments are being affected. Can you wrap that up for us and tell us, uh, in, in you're really good at this, in everyday layman's terminology, where are we with this disease right now?
1: Yeah, great, great call. We're at a turning point, I think, in Canada now, where uh, we really are starting to see this widespread community transmission result in a growing number of hospitalizations. Remember it from the first wave. The whole goal is don't overwhelm your healthcare system. You cannot exceed capacity in your healthcare system. Look what happened in Wuhan, in New York City, in Houston, in Northern Italy. We've got to avoid that at all costs. Uh, and people keep saying, well, you know what? We're not seeing any hospitalizations. We are. We are. It takes time. We know once you start to see a rise in hospitalizations and deaths, that's a lagging indicator. It happens late. And this is such a contagious infection, you can't keep it restricted to one age group or one geographic location for long. So a lot of these restrictions are in place now in areas where there was an unacceptable number of new cases. Uh, we can talk about why that happened, but it would basically, as the case burden in a community grows and grows and grows, your options for getting it under control shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And while well, nobody wants to see lockdowns, and while I'm totally aware of the tremendous devastating economic and psychological impact that these have sadly your 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 hands are tied at some point and and you have to do things to get this under control to prevent a further death b worse economic damage and c a bigger lockdown uh, and a more comprehensive lockdown that will cause worse economic and psychological damage as well
0: so layman's question for you here and i've run into this many times in fact i've asked you this before so i'll ask it again For many people to hear about 500 or 600 or even 800 cases a day in a province of, let's say, 5 to 8 or 4 to 8 million people does not sound like a big number that needs to be responded to by lockdowns and the way it's being responded to. Can you tell us what the story there is? Or did you just do that? No, no, we can't. I mean, this
1: is a great point, Roy. I think it's a, it's a great point. It, you know, there's that old joke about the problem with exponential growth is that it grows exponentially. And what happens is that 800 can rapidly spiral under, out of control into a significantly higher number. In addition to that, we know that that 800 new cases per day is looking at, I'm not going to say the tip of the iceberg, but it's certainly all, some of the iceberg, but it's clearly not reflective of all the cases that we're seeing in a particular location so there's a lot of transmission that's going on that's undetected and the point is this is by and large in most people you might get a little sick and you'll you'll stay home and you'll recover and all will be well but of course we know in certain populations especially people over the age of 60 people with underlying medical conditions pound for pound is going to bring those individuals into hospital more than the younger individuals and you know, we got close in Canada. For example, Montreal got close to really uh, a breaking point of their healthcare system. You know, they 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 were really really stretched uh, in the spring when they were seeing a lot of cases there. And uh, it gets ugly. It gets ugly when that happens. And it's it's not just COVID nineteen deaths. It's deaths related to every other cause as well. When your healthcare system is functioning beyond capacity. That means care for everything else that's happening: strokes, heart attacks, liver disease, kidney disease, routine vaccines, routine checkups. All that goes by the wayside. Uh, yeah, that
0: was a that was a critical issue, wasn't it? The number of surgeries that were postponed, and 100%. so that all that all falls into the general heading of COVID nineteen impact.
1: A hundred percent. There's nothing. There's nothing. Nothing occurs in isolation. We know that, and and you know, we we we, we weren't sure how bad it was going to get in Canada at that time and you know everyone was kicked out of the hospitals all those elective surgeries were canceled and and we had tr- you know luckily we had tremendous surge capacity that we ultimately didn't need in the end did we, we over did we
0: overreact did we overreact at that no, time no
1: this is called the prevention paradox you know if you if luckily we didn't need it but of course if we didn't do that and we did need it it would have been a catastrophe so there's yeah. a, this is the prevention paradox when you you know if you, if when when this happens we say oh we overreacted when the uh, with the opposite happened we would say what the hell were we thinking we didn't react seriously enough
0: here's a question that i just uh well i received a little while ago uh, from robin i've asked our listeners who have a COVID question to email it in and i'll ask you as many as we can mm-hmm. and thank you for staying longer today than you usually yeah, no do problem. with all the precautions we're taking are we flattening the curve on other viral illnesses if we ever get to a time we can take masks off will our immune systems be more susceptible to more illnesses.
1: Okay, great question. There's two points there. One, we probably are flattening the curve on other viral illnesses. And in fact, if you look at Australia, they had one of the mildest influenza seasons they've ever had uh, because people were physically distant, wearing masks, uh, practicing good hand hygiene, and influenza just wasn't a very big deal that this past winter in Australia. Hopefully, the same will will, will occur in Canada. The second point is that this really will have no bearing on our immune systems. It really won't. Short term, long term, it's going to do nothing. You're you're exposed whether you like it or not, just by going about your day. Uh, you're exposed to lots of things that you don't even know you're being exposed to, and your immune system is functioning just fine. So this this won't have any impact on our immune system.
0: Here's a question about the Great Barrington Declaration. There's been a lot of talk about over the about that, that over the last week. In fact, I was. Um, Close to uh, booking one of the authors of it on the show, couldn't make it. But probably will next weekend. Uh, but that uh, that great Barrington Declaration, which includes epidemiologists, as you know, from uh, Harvard University, from Stanford, from Oxford University, challenging the whole approach of the lockdowns. What do you say to that? A lot of people are asking questions.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of points. One, first of all, let's just start with lockdowns. No one wants a lockdown. Lockdowns stink. They're they're expensive. They're bad for the economy. They're bad for mental health. They're bad for you know, health in general. Like, But the thing is, they can be avoided. If your case counts are low in an area, you can. if you have government that acts quickly and you have swift action with focused, targeted public health interventions, you can keep those uh, rates low in a community and you won't need to impose any more significant public health interventions. The problem is, once case numbers rise above a certain threshold, these targeted and focused interventions don't work anymore. And you need more, sadly, blunt tools uh, to, to keep this under control. Now, shifting gears for a second, let's think about this uh, declaration. You know, I, I'm not one to throw people under the bus or to trash colleagues publicly. But I think, you know, it's getting a lot of press because it's, a, you know, quite frankly, it's pretty contrarian. And You know, most people who are in epidemiology or infectious diseases or public health or policy look at that and roll their eyes. And yet you get one or two big names on it. It'll make headlines. It'll make papers. It'll make the press. It'll circulate amongst, you know, people who might might just be digging their heels in a little bit and not open minded to really looking at both sides of the issue. But one of the fundamental principles of this is that you can actually shield populations you can shield vulnerable people you can cocoon people who are at risk of getting this infection like that's a ridiculous notion we can't we never have been able to uh, in the history of forever and we still can't about 50 percent of the population either is at risk or lives with someone at risk of this infection so shielding people or cocooning people from getting this infection that are more vulnerable to it is is quite frankly laughable the second point is is that you know we should just let this transmit among people who are at less risk of getting this infection because it causes a mild illness well yeah you're right in the sense that most people won't die that's a good point but having said that some people will die uh, even though they're at a lower risk group And that's you're just looking at mortality. You're not looking at morbidity. So we don't actually know what uh, the full spectrum of long-term complications of this is. So you would not want this to spread unchecked in a community. If you can avoid getting this infection, you should. doesn't matter how old you are. So there's a lot of gaping, gaping holes in that declaration. And I think if you take a step back and really pull people honestly about this in the medical and scientific community, the vast majority of people would, would politely roll their eyes, and if you talk to them in a more private setting, might say more uh, vigorous and expletive, term, use more expletive terms
0: to describe. So it's it's another one of those over-a-beer the uh, over a beer conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, hear yeah. You. I look forward I hear to that, you. by the way.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs> so now it's you and the parliamentary budget officer, Yves Giroux, I have to get... S- you know, I'm going out drinking with everybody now. I have to be careful.
1: About this. <laughs> this post-pandemic <road laughs> to be
0: fantastic. Yesterday, I had a conversation with uh, Ru, the Parliamentary Budget Officer. Here's ten seconds of that conversation. Play it. I was going to say we're already up to two beers, you and me. Yeah, it's starting to uh, to get very close to abuse. <laughs> <laughs> so, just a little aside. So, I love that.
1: Um, <laughs> I'll be abusing the chicken wings, not the beer.
0: <laughs> Me too. Okay, so let's talk about some of the uh, the options that are available, what we need to do, what we can do to uh, to ward off uh, as much as possible this, this uh, virus. Rapid testing and other testing availability has been in the news a lot. What do you say to that?
1: I think it's going to be helpful. It's not a silver bullet, but it certainly just pushes the envelope forward in providing us better access to care, and we deserve it. Uh, This will bring testing to areas that might not have access. It lowers barriers to test. You might be able to put these in disproportionately impacted places. You can put them in rural underserviced locations. Um, It's just a smart move. I think if you think about putting them into businesses as well, especially when you have rapid turnaround times, any place where you need an answer right away within 15 to 20 minutes, does this person have COVID-19 yes or no, you'll be able to answer that question. Uh, I think this is, this is just this is great stuff. It's not the silver bullet. It's not going to solve all our problems, but it just helps us along this path.
0: Dr. Bogosh, here's a question from Linda, and I think it's particularly interesting given that this is Thanksgiving and we've uh, heard the advice that uh, we shouldn't gather for Thanksgiving dinner. So Linda writes, looking forward to Christmas. What's the procedure for isolating when a guest comes to visit? What provision needs to be made for them, and how does a guest isolate in your home?
1: This is way too far ahead to think of. Okay. I mean, we have no idea what state Canada' is going to be in at Christmas time. I think it's pretty reasonable to have forecasts you know, one, two, three weeks ahead, but Christmas is just way too far ahead to know how we're going to be doing. The policies might be very different now uh, then than they are now. Um, but in all fairness you know i think the key thing is we just have to keep our hand on the pulse we have to be aware of what the local and federal public health guidelines are and appreciate that they're going to be they'll they will very likely adjust along the way in general right now we shouldn't be getting together for for any gatherings that might not be true at christmas time but for now that, that that's the case and we, we're going to celebrate virtually. If you don't live under that roof, you don't go into that house. It's pretty straightforward. Hopefully that's not the case at Christmas, but it might be. We just don't know.
0: Okay. What drugs are available now that show promise? Now, we did hear that, uh, obviously, uh, uh, President Trump has had COVID, and he received some uh, some uh, medications or drugs or as health services that may not be available to everyone else what's available what's coming on what's coming on stream that looks good
1: yeah so what's available now in canada is we have dexamethasone which is very helpful if you're hospitalized god forbid with COVID 19 and require oxygen it's a very useful drug it's widely available we use it all the time uh i'm in the hospital right now (laughs) in fact i'm on call all weekend on the COVID wards we're we're certainly using it a lot Uh, the other drug is remdesivir that's available in Canada. It's got limited availability. Most people who are on that drug are enrolled somehow in a clinical trial, but we certainly have that drug available in Canada. Also helpful for the sicker end of the spectrum, mainly those in hospital on oxygen. Um, there's other drugs that are coming through the pipeline that are, that might be helpful. It's just not quite clear. We heard about Regeneron that the you know, president Donald Trump received, uh, and other antibody type, uh, therapeutics. Uh, we don't really have a ton of data yet that's available for us to sort of scour over, but in general, there, it, it looks promising, and, and certainly I look forward to seeing how some of these clinical trials pan out. There's another class of drugs called the interferon, uh, and again, that, that, that has some promise as well. Uh, there's been some small studies, but there's some larger studies that are underway that will have give us definitive answers. So those are the ones that are available and others that are coming through the pipeline
0: and we're in better shape than we were six months ago as far as what we know about this virus is concerned um, with kids going back to school and activities underway but we're in better shape than we were
1: i agree i think we are i think we have a much better understanding of how people get this virus we have a much better understanding of how we can prevent others and each other from getting this infection. We have better treatments for people who are sick in hospital for this infection. We have much, I mean, despite what it appears, it would, there, there's better access to diagnostic testing now than there was, for example, in, in March and April. Of course, it's not perfect. Of course, there's room for improvement, but it's uh, way better than it was in March and April. So we, we certainly are better off. The problem is, we're in the midst of a second wave in Quebec and, and, uh, and uh, Ontario, um, probably Alberta as well. BC seems to be flattening out. That's good. New Brunswick has a bit of an outbreak. Manitoba, eh, you know, and Saskatchewan also are seeing a, uh, some growth in cases. So it's a long fall and a long winter ahead. We've really got to stay vigilant to keep this under control.
0: If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts